Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Outdoor Man. So, on this week's episode, it is with the Field Sports Channel. Now, Charlie um, didn't have to talk to me. Um, I contacted him through um, a friend I used to work with, or work for, more the point, and uh, asked him to sort of talk to me and point me in the right direction regarding my podcast, and actually asked if he'd do a podcast with me, and he agreed. Uh, it took a bit of turn and throw in, um, but actually it happened the other day. A great man, like I said, he didn't have to take his t- he didn't have to talk to me at all. So a huge thank you to Charlie and the Field Sports Channel and just just a huge thank you to what they thought they do in the countryside really. Um, all their videos are interesting one way or the other. Like I mentioned before, um, on, on there done a they've done a great one with moderators, um, same moderators for rifles and done one with semi automatics. I have to say they're wrong on the semi automatics. The Bazelli is the best one, but hey, uh, I have to say they um, they mentioned the Remington 1100. Fun. Uh, so, without further ado, check them out, give them a like, share, have a look on uh, YouTube at Phil Sports Channel if you haven't seen it already. Uh, yeah. How's tricks at the Phil Sports Channel? Busy? It's yes, it's really busy. Um, we've got. Sorry, just, to, just messing around with the audio. Um, right. So we've got uh, uh, a kind of reactive job to do and, a, and, a, and an active job to do. The active job is to try to find ways of presenting shooting sports in a way that changes people's minds. But this week it's all about reactive. So we've got Channel 4 News has basically doorstep to grouse shoot up in the North Yorkshire Moors. Yeah. Uh, I think in two extraordinarily badly Bad, bad, you know, they did this really badly. First of all, they jumped the shoot, uh, and about uh, two years ago, BBC Radio Force PM program did the same thing, uh, and uh, they went down to a hunt on on Exmoor, and they jumped the master and recorded what to them sounded like great pantomime, but from a hunting point of view, uh, was just a awful fishing expedition by them. Uh, well, I shoot uh, Channel Four. I've done the same thing to Grouse. And they've also, they've compounded their crimes by, uh, well, we reckon it's contempt of court because they are saying a gamekeeper is guilty of killing a goshawk. The gamekeeper is not guilty of killing the goshawk. Um, you know, you, you can't go around prejudging these things before we have a court case on account of our, our, our democracy, really. Yeah. So they're in trouble. Then we've got, shouldn't have asked me, now I'm going to tell you. Then we've got the badgers. <laughs> the badgers are uh, uh, the anti-badger car people. Yeah, they're a small group of nutters who are really dedicated to stopping badger culling in the UK. And they've started releasing a whole lot of names and addresses, including my name. They've revealed that I am a badger cull contractor with, and I think this is, a, this is a marvellous example of how disappointing it must be to be both a badger cull contractor and an anti-badger cull contractor. They found out in 2017 I went out four times and I didn't shoot a single badger. So they, you know, they're, they're making hay with that, and they're and they're also they're trying to whip up support and say, um, we will release twenty names of badger cull contractors. It's quite possible they only have twenty names, and they've just released them. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do next. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to carry that story today, and uh, and we have this. Um, New, I call him the new news editor. I mean, he's, been, he's been with us for, for uh, six months now, Ben O'Rourke. Uh, and he picks up what seemed to be 
on the face of it, you know, slightly peculiar stories. And then he goes and does them and suddenly, you know, they fall into place and, and you go, wow, that's, that's great. So he went to do seagulls in Scarborough this week oh, yeah. on the basis that natural England says seagulls are very rare and Scarborough says, no, we want to get rid of them all. So, you know, you have a kind of government department versus government department thing going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, to answer your question, very busy. How about you? How's your life? Uh, yeah, mental. Uh, pheasants, uh, work and, and life and then trying to do this podcast as well and, and I, I probably should have eased off and done you know an episode once a month or once every sort of two or three weeks and I jumped in straight both feet and decided like yeah one a week so try and keep you are, you are a very very brave man I mean one thing you must try very hard not to do to yourself is kill yourself with this stuff and, you know, yeah. don't, don't don't make it don't push yourself over the edge got to, you've got to Keep sane enough to keep doing it. Yes, yeah, so I might, I might, I might step back and do like release one every other week. Um, but to be honest, I've had some fantastic, fantastic um, comments back. Um, my mum must love me a lot because I've had what was it, two hundred and oh, I can't tell anyone, uh, two hundred and fifty-nine downloads overall so far. Oh, fantastic! Well so done. I'm really pleased Brilliant. with how it sort of snowballed, and it has snowballed massively. Um, it 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 will. You'll you'll find it will go from you know naught to ten will take a certain amount of time. Ten to a hundred will take about the same amount of time. Hundred to a thousand, thousand to. It's funny. It, it sort of it feels like the same lump of time uh, that it takes to get from each to each. I've um, the, the two I really want to do. Two the, both chats want to do is is dad at home at Sandringham, um, in because dad's on the third or fourth generation on on the estate itself. So just Dad's story alone will be a fantastic story, and then um, I've just I've I've just done my dad actually, and it's 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 really funny because you've you know you whether you like it or not you come at it from the position of being his son. So you yeah. know you it, and and that is kind of very attractive from a viewer point of view, but at the same time it's a complete minefield. You know you hear yeah. him going off on one about one of his things. You, you know your natural reaction is go oh for goodness sake, but actually um, I had that. They, they want to hear it. Uh, yesterday morning, um, I don't watch the news because because it boils my piss a little bit. And um, so I rung, I took the car down to the garage and thought, when I walk home, I'll ring Dad up and just see how he is. And cause I usually get him he's walking the dogs out in the morning. And uh, so the first thing I got was effing and blinding down the phone because he was shouting at you know a pack of, a pack of dogs anyway. And I went, "You're right." He went, "Well, yeah, I'm all right. I don't know what you can do with this podcast." And started straight into me about it. I went, "Right, okay." He's, and he's not against it. He's totally for it because he knows that I'm trying to promote the keepering and the field sports in the, you know, in our positive light. And he goes, we're acting on Channel 4. They're persecuting gamekeepers. We're all tired of the same brush. And at literally five minutes, he was just on one. I was like, yeah, all right, Dad. I know. I get where you're coming from. But we've got to do something. We've got to stand united and, and do something. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's about you know, explaining that we're human beings and changing the social license and getting people to understand it. Um, how old is your dad? Uh, he's just about ready to retire. A couple more years, so he's in his sixties now. So he's uh, just getting. You see that? So this, I, think, I, I, I think it may, it's going to happen to all of us as well. But there's a kind of moment where the bins become really important in in, <laughs> in people's lives, you know. And and it's, it sort of sounds like you just hit that moment with the. <laughs> if he's, he watches this, he'll go. What's he talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he's, get, he's getting like that. And actually, I um, was it? They went. My 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 dad and my stepmom went shopping. A couple of weeks ago, we went, oh, we had to go on Friday this week and not on Thursday. Like, That's how it starts, Dad. That's how it starts. <laughs> <laughs>
He will now have, he'll now hang you up by your thumbs for taking the mickey. So. Oh, literally, yeah. <laughs> and then the other one I want is um, Bill Meldrum, who was Dad's head keeper. Oh, um, I know. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Queen's gun, do- uh, gun Dogs and everything else. So, and his stories are, are just phenomenal. Um, and, the, and the people he knew, I mean, just for instance, I went to um, the head keeper before Bill's funeral a few years ago. And um, yep. so to Jackie Stewart was there. He'd done a reading about about that head keeper. And it was just just amazing, you know. And it's it struck me then how we all sort of fit together in the world. And it was just fabulous, really. It's a funny thing that, I mean, we don't really realise it if we're, if we're kind of under pressure to put stuff out on a weekly or whatever it is basis. But um, we're, also, we're also doing this thing where, you know, it's possible YouTube is here for a long time. And, and if you put this out on YouTube, you know, people will find this in 100 or 200 years time, possibly. And it will be a snapshot of, uh, of a way of thinking. If you imagine, you know, if you came across an interview with your great, great grandfather on YouTube, how fascinating that would be yeah and this is this is what it's kind of what you're doing really yeah. um, there's so much about it's so much about media which uh which uh you know, it, it's an instrument for you know changing people's minds about things for sure but it's it, there's, there's a whole sort of raft of stuff like what you put into it is important who you talk to is important what you talk about what you don't talk about when you do an interview is really important as well it'll allow people years from now to see what the taboos were you know as well as what your mindset is it's there's just a, a ton of stuff there the um talk about as you say that to my uh, great-grandfather my first podcast i actually put out was with my with my granddad um wow. it was he was a big he, he was a big bird man so he worked for the, he'd done a lot for the um for the bto for the ring in and and that that side of things but also he was a big wildfowler and had had a massive, massive obsession with the pink foot goose, and um, and, he, and you're in the right part of the world for that, aren't you? Oh you know, yeah, big it, time. It, uh, we 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 don't have so much of that down here. Um, my dad was a BTO ringer as well, and uh, and he was a very keen shooter. And uh, I, I remember he introduced me to Peter Scott, so Peter Scott, who was the wildfowler yeah. and naturalist, and it was a sort of thing. They were kind of of that age when you know the 19th century naturalist who would collect specimens with a shotgun. That's that sort of a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've got so much, so much of that I wanted to put across because we're now moving into an age where it's all a bit clinical already. Yeah. Everything, everything's, everything seems to be a minefield nowadays. Um, yeah. Yes, it does. I've, I've come to the conclusion, sod it. And, and nobody is pushing uh, like, like yourselves. You know, nobody's pushing out, us doing the positives. No one's, no one's, no one's filming the hunt. You know, cover laying and seeing, seeing that yeah. come back and and all the you know the young birds and everything else. And it's it's nobody's wrong. doing. We don't have the we don't have the vocabulary for it. Um, I'd say it's uh, one of the things about Donald Trump is um, he's amazingly offensive and rude and horrible and obviously half of America think he's wonderful and half of America absolutely hates him. He. He seems to me he sort of nearly, but not quite, established a vocabulary for being a for, for being able to kind of shout back against this kind of creeping PCness that's that's moved across the country and is stopping stopping people from talking freely, really. 
but we haven't quite cracked it. I mean, I think he was kind of, he was on the way to getting that vocabulary together, but it's not a vocabulary that people, you know, on the BBC use, for example. So obviously we haven't kind of persuaded the world that it's a, it's a good way of doing things. Everyone's talking about being offended. And at the end of the day, that's only your opinion and you haven't got to agree with it, but you're not going to catch some horrible disease and die because you're offended because that person said that. And it's just... I, I don't know. It's a funny thing about so your grandfather, my father, your father probably wouldn't, you know, they, they, they struggle with this idea. But since, since it's become an, a, you know, a criminal offence to, to think something you know, since thought crime is now is now a thing, yeah. and, and to me, it sort of seemed to start kind of late nineteen nineties. That's kind of authoritarianism came in. It's it's been very difficult to kind of pick our way through. Well, it's been both very difficult and very easy to pick our way through it because the fact is, we do live our lives by that. We you know we don't we're not generally speaking casually racist and things like that because we find it easier to avoid the flack, and also because there's a line there's a line from a good american musical um uh which uh which is about everyone's a little bit racist actually uh so so there's that but uh, and, and it's and it's just the authoritarianism you know has has good things in the sense it stops us from being casually rude to people you know perhaps it improves our manners but we seem to have lost sight of the manners itself and uh the and we've lost sight of the kind of freedom of speech which goes with that. And, 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 we, and we haven't established a vocabulary that allows us to express ourselves within that framework. It's a rather muddled way of putting it, but I th- I'm trying yeah. to, that's where I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I think millennials have got a lot to answer for, unfortunately. And, I, and, I, and I, unfortunately, I fit into that category. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just... And that's you, why you are the, you're the problem. Yeah, yeah literally, yeah. It's just me. Um, but, you know, that's why I've changed my tact. I say I've changed my tact on the, on the podcast. So it was literally like, going to be very much like the Phil Sports Channel, very much co- countryside pursuits. But I thought, I'm, am I going to get the right people in listening to what I, I'm trying to say? So I then went on and I spoke to somebody from the Suffolk Trail Festival. I spoke to a friend who does primal fitness, all things that everyone's interested and tried to drag all, like, you know, big wide net, scoop it all in. And then hopefully subtly get my what I want to say well, actually, in there. If you call, if you you know if you establish you're about hunting, shooting, fishing, field sports, then actually that gives you a pretty good starting point to talk about the great outdoors. Yeah. Because people, you know, people start watching something or start listening to something for one reason, and they carry on listening to it for some for another reason. So, for example, it might be you know the picture, the thumbnail which says hunting, shooting, fishing people talk to each other. So you go, right, I'll, I'll listen to that. And then it could be about, uh, you know, hedge laying or something like that, but it doesn't matter because it comes from a hunting, shooting, fishing position. Yeah. People quite like that. Now, I don't think there's any, there's any shame in that. Um, it's uh, uh, actually something which we, you know, we often look at Top Gear, um, which is a car program, but it's not really about cars. Not anymore. Uh, it's really about, it's lifestyle, isn't it? So, you know, that they, they have kind of moved from, I mean, in, I used to work in magazines and we call it specialist consumer to lifestyle. They, they've moved from one to the other. And, and that's been quite good. But yeah, what we really want to do, okay, to be totally famous is for, 
you to put a picture of Princess Diana on the thumbnail of your video, and then you and your dad just basically sob at each other for half an hour and uh, and end on a bit of laughter. And that, that, that's a perfect podcast. There you go. Yeah, that would be Funny you should say that. When I spoke, when I approached Nick about the podcast, the first thing he said was, go speak to dad, use Sandringham, plug it, plug it, plug it, and you'll, and you'll just take <laughs> yeah. off. And that, but you know what he's like, because obviously he's, you know, the Royals is what he does really, apart from everything else. He does very well. Um, mm. I better say that just in case he watches this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and the thing is, what he said to me was right, and that was a, that, that exact that, you know, people want to listen to that sort of thing. What, what was the word, he, the phrase he used? The, the normal... The abnormal normal or the normal abnormal. So, like, I've got... Yeah, I don't know that one. So, um, for instance, I grew up at Sandringham. I've got stories I could, you know, tell about the Royals and with the Royals now. And to me, it, that's just a normal day. But to somebody else, that is an absolute amazing story, you know. Um, for instance, when... I not been. I must. I was walking, so I, I was. I was must have been sort of around t- the two marks. The Queen came round because we'd had. She wanted to see something in the house that had been done, and um, I was marrying around the bathroom. Next minute, I'm clambering into the bathroom, and she pulls me out. You know that. T- t- in our, you know our our stories at home. That's just just a normal story of Dan being an idiot, but to somebody else, wow, the Queen pulled me out of the bath. You know it's. <laughs> Queen saves. Gatekeeper, <laughs> yeah. marvellous. I can see it in the Daily Mail. Yeah, well, the trouble is, of course, you've got to try not to tell those stories. Otherwise, yeah. you know, they, they, they see that as... Don't forget what happened to Marion Crawford, the, the, the governess who wrote that extremely innocent little book. Don't, don't, be, don't be Crawfy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's... Um, we we get a, I mean you know in the world of shooting and hunting and fishing, we get, we get a, a, amazing access to amazing things. Uh, and when I was... a uh, uh, more of a kind of frontline journalist a thousand years ago people uh, I, I'd won Sunday Times one really grumpy old Sunday Times sub who said you know your, your problem is you're, you're a PR for the upper classes Charlie you're, all you're doing is you know is talking them up and I was thinking well it kind of has a point but it's, it's not so much about the upper classes with me it was you know it was more about the, the countryside as a whole um, but yeah we get we get fabulous access and there is there is no point um Risking that by, um, you know, talking about the people we meet doing anything eccentric. Where it all falls down is when you don't talk about people you meet doing things eccentric. Then the antis go, "Oh, you're hiding all the all the dead gosforks and the dead and Harriets." And, and this is the bit which I struggle with because. You know, after 30 years of writing about shooting, I still haven't come across the dead and Harriers and the dead goshawks. No, um, so. I, anyway, it's, it's it's a funny one that because it's just you know it happened in you know it happened a long time ago that sort of thing and I'm not saying gamekeepers don't do it now because I'm sure there's some corrupt gamekeeper out there but it's such a small minority and we're all tarred and unfortunately with that big career soap brush and it's wrong. Well, yeah, they, they, they it is it's, def- it's definitely a minority. I, I think they they like to characterise gamekeeping as basically a couple of old blokes who walk around fields in the British countryside. They don't seem to realise it's thousands of people on on thousands, possibly tens of thousands of shoots around the countryside. And uh, you know, they, for the antis, the countryside is that green thing outside their train window, yeah. and so they see it as very much a sort of snapshot. And if it's not covered in trees and bursting in the flames in April, then they they think there's something wrong with it. You know, um, 
for us, the countryside, well, I was trying to push this line the other day um, on some ICV or radio program or something. And the countryside is basically, it, it, is, it is half farmed and half shot over. And then there are a few small little places which are preserved, you know, wildlife reserves. And that, that's owned by the RSPB. But you have to remember, you know, the RSPB only owns a tiny, tiny amount of land. And I don't think urban people or people who don't understand the countryside really understand that all the bits of farms, you, you know, you, you can see those. They've got grass growing in them. There's plough. There's crops growing in them. All the rest is shot over. The whole lot. Yeah. Um, so anything with woodland on it is it's there for hunting and shooting. Yeah, I said, um, I was talking to somebody, somebody was taking the mick at me about, about the podcast. And I said, well, we need to, you know, we need to do it. Because people don't realise the, um, you know, the money, not just the money spent on shooting, but the deals that are done through a shoot day, the thousands of mm-hmm. business, that, that affects their auntie's lives and various bits and pieces because they're businessmen that come from the city, they come and shoot, they do their deals, whatever they're doing, and that, and that, that has a knock-on effect. And it's just thing, little little things like that that make the whole world go round. Um, yeah, that you know that that's been left out of the whole kind of the the whole conversation. And another, I mean, I, you know, they they could do that on the golf course if they didn't have shooting, or they could you know they could do that elsewhere. And one of the guys we we do a lot with, Neil Roundtree, made a very good point the other day. He said, you know, Scottish estates. He said, I like super yachts. He said, if you ban them you will harm yacht builders. You won't harm the owners. If your aim is to harm the owners of Scottish estates, banning Scottish estates is not going to harm them. Um, but I do think there's, there's you know, something which, um, which the miners failed to make the case for, the dock workers failed to make the case for, and now we are struggling to make the case for, is the sense of community that hunts and shoots offer. Um, I was uh, listening to the radio this morning, uh, listening to a couple of um, extremely wealthy uh, football managers, ex-football managers, talking about how the government must put money into football because of the important community side of football. And I was thinking, well, yeah, but that is also there's also the important community side of the hunts and the shoots. I mean, they should put, put money into that if they if that's what they're worried about. But we haven't really been able to express that. Yeah, we are very bad as um a community on pushing our pluses yes we are the shooting hunting the whole lot of us is just a a huge amount of the of of the population as it were have just really done the ostrich effect and and put their heads in the sand and go it'll go away and it's not well so i've got a question i've got a question um did you see the Channel 4 um, news piece about the no, Baltimore? No, I was looking for it before this, and I couldn't find it. Well, it's on, it's on YouTube, um, so you know, pop a link into the description, because it's worth watching, just as a kind of test case of how to, how not to, I would say, deal with a, a reporter situation. So basically, the reporter extremely unfairly doorsteps a shoot, so that the, you know, everybody's unloading on the side of the road, there's four by fours, there's people with dogs, and he's got a long microphone on a boom, and he's got a cameraman walking behind him, and he goes up to people and says, what do you think about this goshawk that's being killed? What do you think, what do you think, you know, and people just don't know how to answer. So there's a shot of an old man, he's, he winds up the window to his Land Rover so he doesn't have to talk to a reporter, and it kind of looks bad. There's another shot of uh, a couple of, uh, I think they must be shoot staff, 
retreating, you know, walking away, and they're walking away quickly to kind of get away from the reporter. That looks bad as well. Um, So obviously Channel 4 was delighted with this sort of whole theatrical idea. But if you're out on a shoot and some reporter comes along with a microphone and a cameraman and they doorstep you in the same way, how would you react? What would you do? Or or at least tell me what you'd like to do and then what you'd really do. Um, I would like to keep my cool. Um, I would try and answer the questions honestly as I could. You know, if I was being asked, like, say the Goshawk incident, if I was asked, you know, do you, would you agree with it? I would say, I don't agree with it. And I would say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to be tied with the same brush if that lad is found guilty or not. Um, and I would, I would, I would just, I would push him or try to push him towards somewhere like um, the Countryside Alliance who can deal with them questions better. So I'd go, you know, this is my opinion, but if you really want to, you know, to talk to somebody about this properly, I would go to, and I would try and sort of do a bit of slopey shoulders and, and try and just deflect it that way. I think you're spot on. I think that's exactly the right. Because all, all they want is, uh, you know, a shot of somebody behaving like a human being, and that establishes that shooters are human beings. After that, all those, you know, pros at the shooting organisations, I mean, us, I wish, I wish we'd had advance warning of this because this is the kind of media which we can deal with at Field Sports Channel really well. We've got all the covering shots. You know, we can extend interviews. They can put our shots of grouse over it if we're there making the case for grouse shooting. So anyway, yeah, you, you, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and I think it's a shame that people have got, I think they've got to do that to ambush somebody to try and get that, that story and it not been done right. I think it was bad. I, th- I think it was pretty bad reporting uh, all in all uh, I could you know I can see how they came up with it but they came up with it a bit like you come up with a script for a Christmas panto they didn't it, it wasn't it was not there to to help yeah. the argument along in any way did it was there, I, it was our right, job for the aunties. am I right in thinking that channel 4 has been under investigation anyway for a few um so Channel 4 or its holding company has invested in a whole lot of uh, vegan or vegetarian food businesses. And just at the time they did that, they suddenly started running what were what we call puff items, pure public relations items on their news program about vegan food and vegetarian food. And you thought, OK, this is a this is a bit of social engineering they're engaged in here. Um, uh, then again. There is an argument that you know news can be partial. Uh, so, if you're talking about you know how you get your news and what news you listen to, something that's really really changed in the last twenty years as well is people are incredibly well informed. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that uh, people like Chris Packham will fail because they belong to that old-fashioned, top-down man on the M industry roof tells you what the weather's going to be. You go off believing that. You know that's changed. The motto of the of the modern TV viewer is, "I'll be the judge of that." Uh, and and with that in mind, y- you're you're able to present news, say from Field Sports Channel, that comes from a platform of being hunting and shooting and fishing because people know that and they, they're able to judge that situation. Now, people still rely on the BBC and Channel 4 to be absolutely balanced. So when they aren't, when they are partial in favour of, you know, with the Channel 4 in favour perhaps of vegetarian or vegan businesses they've backed and 
terms of the BBC, they seem to be in favour of, you know, what goes down quite well in an Islington restaurant doesn't seem to be you know, actually what reflects the, the wider belief of, of, of the countryside, of, of, the, of, the, of the country. Well, you have got to change your perception about what, what the BBC is. Um, I listen to a bit of radio when I'm sitting here, and I do like listening to Radio 4, but it just, just sends you up the wall with its mm. kind of casual failure to acknowledge 90% of the UK population. And uh, there's a new radio station that's just started up from the, the Times newspaper. Um, and it's not right-wing. It's not Fox News. I'm not right-wing, so I would spot it if it was. And it's really good, I'm afraid. And I really enjoy it. And so I've pretty well stopped listening to the BBC now. Yeah, um, the BBC have had such a fantastic platform to do something good for the countryside, and they really haven't. You know, this this was the thing that started me off for the podcast was Countryfile, and yeah. <laughs> and and how how much that when I do watch it, the other half has to come in and turn the TV off because I start sort of <laughs> almost chewing the TV up, and it's and they've got you know they've got that platform, and and they've got such a vast you know, audio, uh, uh, audience, and it's just total, you know, rubbish. Well, there is an argument that they've just blown, actually, and as of middle to end of this year, I mean, two years ago, the BBC was the largest media organisation in the country by a very long way. Um, newspapers couldn't hold a candle to them. You know, BBC have foreign correspondents in almost every capital in the world. Um, I think even the biggest newspaper, I think the, the Telegraph only has a dozen foreign correspondents now. Um, so if you wanted to do something in journalism, which principally, if you're a journalist, was, you know, that whatever you did, you had to be able to come into work on Monday. That, that's the point of being a journalist. So, so don't muck it up. If you want to do something in journalism, the easiest, safest way to hold on to your job is to do what the BBC just did. Whatever the BBC just did, do that. Um, now, I think that's changed. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to change because as of uh, the end of this year, we're going to have Apple TV is better funded than the BBC. Netflix is already better funded than the BBC. Uh, YouTube is launching as a TV platform. I think that's going to be absolutely enormous. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, th those three are going to push by themselves. They're going to push BBC into fourth place as best funded media organisation in the country. Yeah, that will have an effect. Yeah, the massive effect. Uh, with your job, do you get much time to go out shooting, or are you too busy in the office? Uh, yes, I'm ne never. I mean, like anybody in the world shooting, ne never as much as you'd like. Um, but uh, I definitely get to go to unusual places and do unusual things, and I really like that. Yeah. Uh, so year before last, I think it was. Yeah, might have been last year. No, it might have been last year. I went to China, which is where the, the pheasant comes from. And I went up the Yellow River. And actually, I tell you what, you know how expensive shooting is, generally yeah. speaking, if you're, if you're a gun? Right. Get this. So I flew to Beijing, which is pretty easy because you basically go over the North Pole. We're, we're pretty close to Beijing. Uh, and I go not quite over the North Pole, not far off. I went to Beijing and I flew an hour up the Yellow River to a, a strange little town called Linfen. I got picked up by a gamekeeper and a translator in a, in a jeep uh, and uh, driven. It was actually, a, it was a Willys jeep, but with Chinese branding. They just basically nicked the whole thing. Right. And we got driven two hours after the hills. I had 50,000 acres, that's 200 square kilometers, all to myself. 
and because uh, nobody else was there at the time. I had a hotel to stay in, and I had uh, two days where he just drove me around on what was half shooting pheasants in their completely natural surroundings. And they put a few down there, but it was it was unusual because you, you, it was a very kind of alpine. It was very like the Swiss Alps. Really? You'd have these kind of grassy pastures with, with rocks exposed on them. And standing in the middle of the rocks, there'd be pheasants lecking, you know, just like black grouse do in this country. Yeah. I mean, this is, what, this is what they do when they're there. And I would get to walk up those pheasants. Um, and then there would be very rare pheasants, which uh, we weren't allowed to shoot. And he would point those out to me so I could look at those in binoculars. I had the most fantastic day. Whole package, including flights, £1,200. Really? So that is cheaper than, you know, a, a, you need to take four days off to do the whole thing, but that is cheaper yeah. than uh, going. Unfortunately, since then, uh, because of the whole bat COVID thing, they've tightened up on shooting locally. So I don't think it's possible to do this year, but I hope they'll open it up again next year. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. That sounds awful. It, it, was, it was amazing, actually. I've got, so... I've got some uh, stags antlers I've got to put up, but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll just get it. Hold on. So the the one trophy I've got in my my office is my my best cock pheasant tail from <laughs> China. <laughs> that sits that sits in the jar on on a shelf. I was uh, I was uh, a big Reeves, a Reeves pheasant fan. I love them because they're such a character. Yeah, but they're so nasty. Um, oh yes they, but they absolutely really are absolutely gorgeous yeah. have you got have you got some uh have you got lady amherst as well they're supposed to be very nasty yeah i've never i never played with them um but yeah i've heard heard the same but i, I was gonna get i was gonna get some reeves this year but i ended up because i'm a reservist as well as a do everything else um don't sit still uh, i ended up doing some testing for covid so that's put a big dent in my organization for the year let alone covid being yeah. you know, being in the way as well so the shooters that take a little bit of a back seat for me this year and, I, and i've paid for it to be honest i had fox problems i've had if i was going to have a problem it was going to be this year and i think i've just about had that year um i have electric fence units going wrong units that go wrong it shouldn't be going wrong because they're nearly brand new um i've had a fox not getting the pen once but three times um and each time I've shot the fox and thought, right, yeah, great. I've, I've sorted that problem now. And went back a couple days later, it's happened again. Um, it's just, funny, it's just take, it just shows, shows you've got to have your eye on the ball so much when you're keepering. You know, yeah. take, take a week off and it all goes wrong. Yep. I was away for three months in the end. And I came back and I had two weeks to catch up on. Though I'd been organised and I'd got somebody else to do my job while I was away, I'm self-employed, so it makes no difference to me. So, so I've got somebody in the garden to keep on top of the lawns and do the bits and pieces. I'd had somebody already revved up, ready to go for the shoot side of things. I'd even left a list of what I wanted to be done and how I wanted, to a degree, how I wanted things to be done. And I came back. I had a week in the garden that week, the next day, next week, I got a phone call. Dan, can we bring pheasants tomorrow? I went, no, <laughs> there's nothing ready whatsoever. Uh, bring them next week, and I'll be and I'll be organised. And I was, but it was. It, I've, I've been on the back foot every time, and it's just been. That's it's been one of years. Yeah. You can't help it. You know, COVID's been, yeah. been a problem, and 
You know, I chose to go away test in the day. You know, I could have stayed at work and carried on. Yeah, yeah, it has been one of those years. It's also been a lovely year in some respects. I mean, you know, being out in the countryside, this has been this has been the year to choose to do that. Yeah, without um, the weather, that is for sure. It's, the weather's been glorious. I mean, if you had any, any kind of garden at all, or even some, you know, the fields and the moorlands and the, 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 the woodlands behind you, you know, whatever it is, that's been the place to be. It's been fabulous. When the... Um... Uh, when it all, the COVID all started off, I spoke to uh, a friend of mine who's got a game farm up the road and uh, quite, a, quite a big shoot, six days a week jobby. Um, and I said, you know, what's happening with the pheasants this year? And he said, well, we're still rearing. He says, things are still coming in. I think a bit more expensive, but we're taking a 50, we're taking a 50% deposit. I went, all right, cool, sorted. And I spoke to him once lockdown came. I went, how's things? And he, and I said, he said, yeah, orders are good. He said, but I'm so stressed with people. And he said, I've never seen so many people on the estate. Yeah, that's been a real problem. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and all over the country as well. Um, and it's actually had an, I'm, I'm doing a podcast, I hope, next week with, uh, with uh, a dear stalker who talks about how, you know, normally people who live in villages were walking around the village. They're now walking really wide circles around the villages and they're displacing some of the bigger wildlife, or some of all the wildlife where they're walking because they're taking the dogs with them, you know, as you can imagine. Yeah. So he says, what's happened around him? He's very keen on his road buck. Is he, he, he has um, a good quality buck in forestry, which he just can't get onto because they're, you know, they're, they're stuck there. Uh, out in the moorlands, poorer quality moorland bucks. And he does a, has a happy time shooting those. This year, the good quality bucks being pushed out in the moorland displaced the poor quality bucks. He's been shooting some really big animals. But of course, the moment they've gone, then the, you know, the other bucks come back in again. And it has sort of unbalanced things locally. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that's a you know, big thing. Uh, I've, had, I've had people on mine, you know, where they shouldn't be, think, how have you got there? Yeah. And you yeah, see, exactly. there's not even a footpath here. There's not even a, remotely some form of footpath. Here. Nettles up to here. You think you're a brave man you, to get here, you know. Has it been, has it been bad over in the east where you are? What? Uh, People-wise? The, 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 sorry, the, or, the, or, the, the, the disease, the epidemic. Yeah, it's been, it's been bad enough. Um, we've had it, I think we've had it fairly easy compared to most of the country to be honest um but because we're all we're all anti-social up here so we all hate each other anyway so we don't see no one um so it's same, same here in the west country so um but i mean we have we've hardly had any cases we've had our fair few cases but i think as a whole we've done very well they might have died with covid rather than of covid you never yeah. know um but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, heaven knows what's going to happen next. But um, it's it's been because there's been a very low risk of getting it. Uh, you know, we have been able to live our lives. I imagine rather like the 1950s. Actually, it was um, it's been like that, um, which is which is yeah. I'm afraid I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, I could I can I can I can I can certainly cope with it. It's been easy for us, but. Um, but me and my other half have both been able to work still because she works with horses. I work with, you know, I've got the pheasants I was, I was testing. So it hasn't affected me a huge amount. Apart from you know, when I ordered something on Amazon, it was a little bit slower than normal. Prime didn't mean prime. But apart from that, <laughs> you know. It was all, what all, what yeah. a tragedy in your life. Oh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. Okay. I, so when you order, so I've got to ask just just on, just on Amazon. So yeah, everybody has developed a bit of an Amazon habit, and I saw a lovely photograph. It, it was a picture of a kind of medieval miniature of one of those kind of incredible looking popes with gold mitre or you know, gold and he's leading a dragon on a chain and somebody's written underneath it some of the weird stuff i bought during lockdown yeah. so, so what's the what's the weirdest thing you bought during lockdown ah ah well um what and I... you were convinced was going to improve your life um do you know what actually some of the weirdest stuff i bought is my podcast stuff to be honest that is oh, yes. That, honestly, the habit has started from there. I've spent an absolute fortune. I've got, you know, I've got a mic there. I've got another one there. Oh, I, I know, not just a mic, on a boom. I mean, oh, that's really yeah. smart. Well and done. it's absolutely horrendous. I've actually, I bought some wireless ones. So I've got a little one now just under there. Look. Um, yeah, good. Which yeah. actually, same quality, brilliant. Um, so, I've, I've, yeah, I've wasted quite a bit of money. Hopefully my other yeah, half, it's, hopefully my other half won't <laughs> watch this. Well, she won't watch this far, will she? I mean, no, no, no exactly. Very dedicated to want to get, get this far, exactly. That's right. Um, oh, yeah, I, well, I, 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 I bought a new gun cabinet. Oh, did you? Well, that's no, that's you've got to have that. That's really yeah, important. that was an that was a, that was an yeah. odd one. <laughs> it, it's 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 given us the chance to kind of sit there and and look at something and go how do i justify to myself that the business or i need this thing yeah and uh i mean luckily the um uh the the business <laughs> with, with field sports channel it's always very simple you can't have it <laughs> but uh with uh with my my own income i, st I still do a, a couple of sort of side jobs in journalism um, and so I still got a bit of money that way and uh, I have been able to look at it and go right the money I got for that column over there I think I deserve a new camera oh yes I think so. exactly exactly um, and and you you know you can even think to yourself well good heavens you know if everything goes wrong because you, you've always had this problem with with uh, COVID you know the economy is has not been great we've we have I'm glad to say uh, uh, you know come through it okay but you sitting there in March and looking at it, you're thinking, oh, Lord, will we make it to September? Well, as it is, it's been fine. But, uh, but you think to yourself, well, if I buy this camera rather than the business, then if it all goes pop, I get to keep it, which is good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, it, not, yeah. that's not a healthy way of thinking, I know. <laughs> no, I, I, I've got to the habit now of either the packages get sent somewhere else when I order them, or I order them so they know, I know I'm at home and the other half's at work. Yep. You know, it's just yep. it's become a big hiding game, really. She goes, oh, what have you bought? <laughs> Nothing. And just <laughs> with it, you know. Exactly. Hide in the office, open it there. That's right, sort of negotiate a settlement, you know, package. Well, your package is going one way, hers go the other, and, you know, neither of you can judge the other one for getting it. Exactly. Quite right, exactly. <laughs> so, you see, obviously, journalism's where you started. Um, how did the Phil Sports Channel happen? What, what was... Oh, good heavens. So I, I have a I have a, a fairly standard line. I, I will tell you anyway about how I found David Wright begging on the streets, and I made him into the man he is today. Which, of course, he will subsequently go online to d deny. Uh, but I seem to be doing more of these podcasts than he is, so I think I'm winning on points at the moment. Um, <laughs> David was uh, <laughs> David was. It's like, were you David Wright? David was a talented uh, news producer at uh, ITV, and he was doing a story about wild boar in the southeast of England and how to deal with them. And he got me on as I was uh, editor of Sporting Rifle magazine at the time. And he got me on uh, as what's called a talking head, a presenter's friend to explain, you know, 
um, about wild boar. And I said, what we really need to do is we need to go to Croatia because that's where they do them. You know, they, they, they look after boar very well. And uh, so I got onto a lovely guy called Tomo Svetic who runs Artemis Hunting, who takes trips out to, uh, takes trips out to Croatia. And uh, ITV books, um, books basically a boar hunt. Marvellous. Those were the days. Um, and, uh, and actually, those were the days because you would get a camera person. Uh, you didn't get, I don't think we got a sound person. We got a production assistant, David, me, you know, four of us plus Tomo flew out to Croatia to do this piece. Um, and while we were there, he and I were chatting about, you know, how does TV news work? And I was telling him about how the world of magazines works. And we sort of came up with the idea that if you could, could collide, you know, a weekly magazine like Shooting Times with TV, because you can stick this stuff online now. And neither of us had any idea what YouTube was. And none of us even mentioned YouTube. To keep. At the time, it was something to do with skateboarding cats. You know, it had, yeah. Not really for us. Well, we thought maybe you would have, you know, you'd have a thing there. And I suppose, you know, this is the bit where hindsight plays a great deal of, you know, helps a great deal. The people were sort of falling out of love with magazines at the end of the early 2000s. They in the in the 1990s, if you went to a game fair, and at the time I was a columnist on Shooting Times, I went on to be uh, uh, to launch a magazine called Sporting Shooter. If if you went to these game fairs, people really loved what you did, and and they and they you know it was the where they got their, basically all their information that they needed in their in their lives that wasn't to do with you know marriage or <laughs> girlfriends or boyfriends really, you know? yeah. and in fact probably had a bit to do with that too. Um, by the end of the, the 2000s, they had discovered the internet. And, um, and although the jury is, I think, still out on what it is the internet does well, it's certainly very good at telly. So YouTube is a success. It's very good at connecting people. So Facebook is a success. Um, and it's very, very good at, you know, information. So if you want to find out about something, you can get a little 300 word article or a 30 second video about it. Or, you know, you, you, will, you, will just, you will learn very, very quickly, which is one of the reasons I said earlier that I'll be the judge of that has become the motto of the British viewer. Yeah. And if you want to get something across to a large audience now, you do not tell them that thing. You say that thing in a manner that they're likely to watch and you kind of put your arm around them and say, this is what I think. And if you want to think that that's fine by me, you know, that, that is how mass communication works. And let's just add. And that again is where Packham fails because he is yeah. trying to tell people things, things that they must think. And, and I think generally speaking, people resent that. So we were lucky. YouTube worked for us. Um, and you know, the audience is totally phenomenal. And we're on, I mean, in terms of individual people who watch our show, who we can now reach on behalf of our advertisers um, via Google Advertising, we're now on seven and a half million people. Really um, so if, you know, if, if you're Browning or Beretta or Plaza or you know, whoever you are, you want to sell shotguns, well, I think we're probably the biggest audience of hunters and shooters that the world's ever seen. I did see the one on the, um, the semi-automatics we did not so long ago. And I disagreed with the whole thing completely. Benelli's a way forward. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you would say that. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Benelli fan. Big Benelli fan. Um, it was, that, was so, that was so funny because we, so we put it, you know, it was a, an idea we had to find out about people's kit. And we put it out in March 2020. 
people had a lot of time on their hands by yeah. coincidence in our 2020. My goodness, we, I mean, three and a half thousand responses. I, I, I'm knocking on somewhere between half a million and a million individual pieces of information have come back. And you know, I, I look at it, I think, oh, I can't spend the rest of my life looking at this stuff and sorting it into categories and columns and telling people what they think, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. That, it's not me. Don't blame me for telling you. <laughs> That's what the viewers said. No, I'd say the S, you know, I'm not surprised the escort won for most of it because that is the Hatsan there is a, a very good cheap gun which comes with a good warranty. And I had one. I had one. I went, had one on the gate once upon a time, drove around the corner. I went one way, one way. The shotgun went the other. It all cracked, fell to bits. I picked it up. I rung escort up and went, can I buy a new stock and a new forend? They went, yeah, sure. You know, it was cheap as chips. It was, you know, it did its job as a work gun. I couldn't fault it. Um, and you still could, prefer Benelli? Yeah, I found Benelli is a little bit more reliable. Um, oh, and actually, okay. I can shoot the Benelli a little bit more. I don't get the jams. And actually, I can hit stuff, which is a rarity for me, I can assure you. My, a lot yeah. of my friends well, always say to me that that scene out of Predator, when they get the big machine gun and start mowing down the trees, that's sort of me when I start shooting. <laughs> Yes. Well, that's why you need a Benelli. Exactly. I can see why jamming would be a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. I need, I need all three. Um, I did, one, of, one of our, one of our um, uh, subjects the other day was, uh, uh, it, was it was a nice line. I think I, I think I might have slightly wasted it, but it was, uh, he, he put it across very well. He, we were shooting, shooting rooks, I think. And uh, he went, click. He said, ah, Bob Marley. And I said, Bob Marley? He said, yeah, jamming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, yeah, no, they've been very, they've been very successful. We did moderators last night. Um, Wildcat moderator came out on top. That's the yeah, first I thought it time. Well, it's a British-made product. I've, I've not seen a British-made product uh, win. We don't, we just don't have the manufacturing industry anymore. Um, so the moderator's the next thing I've got to upgrade on my two, two, three. I'm still running on mine as an old T8. If you can yes, remember T8. Exactly. And yeah. uh, it's now starting Prince to turn because out. Because it would rust. Yeah. <laughs> you, literally, you shake it like that and it just, it's like a miracle. Yes. Eh? It's really that's got right. to go. But the paper, it's, it's <laughs> the paperwork right. that's putting me off. The paperwork of sending it into the police to get the one for one. To... Oh, I know. Exactly. So, know. It's uh, painful, isn't it? But I'm going to put in for yeah, two I've... or three as well. So I'll do all three together. Yeah, exactly. I've got a, um, uh, I've got a, a, a massive and ancient, but uh, I mean, it's made out of, um, tooled aluminium i think uh pez right. uh, moderator but i mean it because it's bright silver in color i mean you know people typically when they come out i, I had a friend i was taking out stalking i lent him my rifle with the uh, with this huge thing on the end and he said he, he put his sunglasses on to carry it uh, which was highly amusing yeah <laughs> um, I, um i've now covered it in camo tape that's the way forward camo tape's the way forward yeah oh totally yeah yes um, exactly yeah uh, what was I going to say? Something about moderators. Something about moderators. No, it's gone. Well, okay, it's, gone. it's gone. Well, that's all right. It is the sound of silence. One of the funny things about moderators, we, we get a lot of comments on uh, on the channel from Americans going, gee, you guys are allowed moderators. That's, you're allowed suppressors and silencers. And um, of course, they're, you know, generally speaking, they're not allowed them, yeah. which is this extraordinary kind of Hollywood thing because Hollywood showed silences in a rather bad light. <laughs> yeah. Something you might use to shoot the president with. Um, and... Um, and we have a situation where I think more than half of Europe now allows moderators. And because of noise of the workplace rules, 
actually technically you would have to use a moderator if you're using it professionally yeah um because you have to have noise below a certain amount of decibels so you've got eu legislation saying you have to use a moderator on one side and then eu countries going oh i don't don't know they're a bit dangerous on the other but i mean luckily they're all they're all coming around to the idea yeah we don't go on I know a lot of stalkers who, especially at stag stalkers, when they take out the, the, the paying guest, they, they won't use a moderator there because it's, the noise is a part of the, you know, yeah, the experience. Yeah. But yeah, part of the day, yeah, you get into their gun cab and every other rifle's got a moderator on top of it. Of, apart from of course that, it does. That one. I had a lovely story about it. You know, you know, we can't use uh, we we uh, some of the supermarkets don't want us to use lead shots to shoot pheasants with now. Yeah. yeah. So there's one gamekeeper told me about how 15 or 20 years ago, he had uh, uh, he would line up the pheasants shot on the day, he'd line them up all on the fence, and he'd shoot them again just so that the uh, people in the shops would get that sort of sense of crunch, you know, that yeah. they would otherwise miss. I think I think um, Bakel need to bring back the cartridges because their their cartridges were cheap and pretty much lead free. They had to sort of everything else because <laughs> it was made in the USSR that had sort of bits of bike chaining and everything else. Oh, it's just stuff they found on the floor, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, right. mostly yeah, dust that's, and dirt. That's what you want. <laughs> always remember <laughs> amazing duck barrels. Always remember duck <laughs> shooting then before the the lead ban came in, and you'd sort of get a poof with a normal cartridge, and then. Just as the night would come in, it'd be boom, and there'd be like a four or five foot flame come out the end of the barrel, and you think, yep, that was, that, that was a flame. That, so a mate and I, were, we were up on Exmoor, and we we're chasing after rabbits, and we were on the tailgate of a Land Rover with this absolutely ruthless farmer driving. You know, If you did not shoot the rabbit, he would just drive you straight into the hedge, and ooh, yeah. every time. But it was, it was a reasonably misty night and, and uh, we were driving down the side of a hedge and uh, there was, a, there was a, a rabbit up ahead of us. And it's funny, I didn't really clock it until afterwards, but there was a, there was a, a, a kid on a moped going along. It was dark and, and you could hear, I, I mean, I didn't clock it, but it was going alongside the road. And then suddenly out of the gloom, these four great sheets of flame <laughs> come out and you could hear him going <laughs> as he sped off down the hill. <laughs> yeah, it was Brilliant. a terrifying moment. Yeah. That, the good old days. <laughs> well, right. you can still do that. You can still do that. I'd better leave it there. I need to go do some work. All right. Good for you. But um, thank you very, very much time. for talking to me. It has been an absolute pleasure. Well, you've been great. Thank you, Dan. That's very kind well, of you. Thank you. And um, I yeah, look forward to uh, listening to this one back. I don't like listening to myself, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you're good you come across very well no, thanks a million Dan thank you very, very much kind of you. Bye, bye